He's referred to as the spirit of grace, Hebrews 10, 29. He's, he's called the spirit of life, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. The spirit of glory, 1 Peter 4, 14. Frankly, every aspect of the Christian's life and service intersects with truth and grace and life and glory. These are the genuine signatures of the Spirit of God on our heart and life. What role does the Holy Spirit play in the life of a Christian? Because we can't see the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean He's not at work. That's because we can see the fruit of His work in our lives. In other words, we see the outcome of the Spirit's work as He works through us. Would you like to know what the ministry of the Holy Spirit looks like? We're going to find out today. You've tuned in to Wisdom for the Heart, the Bible teaching ministry of Stephen Davey. Stephen is teaching through a section of 1 John, and he's called this lesson, Avoiding counterfeit violins. Let's get started. In an episode of History Channel's reality show about a pawn shop, I read of one incident that occurred. A man brought a violin and uh, asked for an appraisal. In fact, I had one lady tell me after the first service that she'd done the same thing. Well, according to this man's story, he had recently purchased some property. On it was a, a house and an old barn. He, uh, after purchasing it, went and inspected in this barn, was looking around, went up in the hayloft and found a chest, an old chest, and opened it up. And inside, tucked in there, was a, a violin. It was carefully wrapped. He dusted it off, still in pristine condition. And he found the name Stradivarius on the inside. He assumed, he hoped, he hoped that that was legitimate and that the violin was the real deal, worth several million dollars, and uh, to his disappointment, and the lady similarly, found it to be hardly worth the price of a used violin. The trouble is there are so many fake instruments out there, and many of them signed by Antonio Stradivarius. In fact, they kind of tweaked my interest, and so I did a little research to see if there's anything more recent and found that just months ago, a millionaire dealer was caught in one of the most far-reaching scams tied to the Stradivarius violin and cello that had ever been caught. He was uh, renowned as one of the world's foremost authorities on the value of these instruments, not just the Stradivarius, but but others, and brokered many, many deals. He um, was trusted by institutions and uh, so many, in fact, around the world, he, he had offices in Chicago, New York, Seoul, Zurich, Vienna. He was believed to be the final word on defining the value of the violin or cello. Less than 24 months ago, he was caught, discovered to have been defrauding his clients by selling both genuine and imitation, and nobody really knew which was which. And until he was finally caught. In fact, in one instance, I read 30 instruments 
that he authenticated as valuable were sold to a major American philharmonic. They later proved to be just run-of-the-mill. In fact, it nearly bankrupted that orchestra. On another occasion, he sold a cello for $300,000 when it was discovered later to be worth around $2,000. Well, after decades of dealing, he was finally caught red-handed, but not until after he had built clients out of more than $100 million. In fact, he lived in a renovated castle in Austria and had become the toast of high society in the music industry, again, that believed him to be the final word, not only on the Stradivarius, but the value of that instrument, the violin and cello. There isn't any scheme more opulent. There isn't any scheme where more money changes hands. With more potential clients to be deceived and defrauded annually than the schemes of Satan all in the name of God. Around the world today, there are religious investors seeking, as it were, spiritual answers, and they are sold spiritual imitations, lookalikes, fakes, along with trainloads of, of empty promises, right? I mean, dealers in religion nearly blanket the globe, convincing prospective clients that the name on the label has not been forged. That's the genuine item. It really will connect you to God. It will take you to heaven. Jesus signed it. I guarantee you, Jesus made that one. From the first century to the 21st century, this problem has plagued the church, so much so that the apostles all warn the church, and John the apostle certainly among them, of counterfeit ministers, counterfeit gospels, counterfeit doctrines, and even counterfeit Christians. And the average Christian is kind of left to wonder, maybe worry, how can I tell the difference in a world of spiritual limitations? Counterfeits. I'm not a theological expert. I never took that class, you know, um, Colts 101 or How to Spot a Deceiver 102 or, or whatever. I mean, how, how can I, what kind of equipment do I have as an ordinary believer to enable me to tell the genuine item from a forgery, a cheap knockoff, an imitation? How can I avoid the imitation violin, so to speak, in the spiritual world? Well, if you go back to our letter from John, 1 John, in chapter 2, you catch it fairly clearly on here. In fact, one of the reasons the Apostle John was inspired by God to write this letter into existence was to deal with this subject. In fact, look down at the verse we left off with last Lord's Day at verse 26. These things I have written to you. In other words, here's one of my purpose statements for this letter. Now notice, this has to do with regarding those who are trying to deceive you. I'm writing you this letter because there are people who are going to try to deceive you. That word deceive can be translated to seduce you. False leaders are effectively, false teachers are going to try and seduce you into being led astray, literally seducing you to wander around, planeta is the Greek word, to wander around like some planet after them. Some of them 
seduced by means of charming personalities. Some are scholarly and authoritative. You know, some have followers from Chicago to Tokyo to Seoul, Korea to Vienna. Some are silver-tongued orators. Some possess powers of persuasion. None of them wear name tags, as we've said, I'm an antichrist and I'm going to deceive you. These are antichrists. These ones who are against antichristos, against Christ, or instead of Christ. They want to take Christ out of the picture and give you something instead of him. They've already, if you look at verse 19, you remember, they've already left the church. They've already left the church. Now, why won't they leave the church alone? Ever wondered that? I mean, they've left the church. Why don't they leave us alone? Because this is where the list of potential clients exists. That's why. How many people have you met in some cult, some ism, some offbeat, out of the Bible or apart from the Bible view, and you get to talking with them, and where did they come from? They came from among us. So they're always fishing in this boat. They want at the flock. They want to influence the flock. That's one of Satan's agendas. I'll never forget several years ago, in fact, when we were down the street in the other building, a woman in our congregation, we told her that she couldn't return to worship until she repented and apologized to a number of people that she was in the process of slandering. And the division just kind of swirled at her feet, and every Sunday was sort of a new chapter in the drama. She refused to repent and make things right. A couple weeks later, she showed up at the church lobby to get a directory, and I just happened to be walking by, and I saw her, and I overheard her request, and I said, no, you can't have one of those directories. That's when we used to print them. And I said, furthermore, you're not even supposed to be on this campus, and you can leave now immediately. Well, she insisted on staying and, and demanding this, um, this phone directory, and, and I said no again, and we just sort of had a little standoff, and finally she turned and she stomped out of the lobby, but not before turning back at me and delivering a few uh, select um, Greek and Hebrew words that I'd never heard before in church. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they weren't in the Bible either. But she wanted, she wanted access to that directory. She wanted access to the flock. By the way, that's one of the reasons for exercising discipline. It, it safeguards the flock from those who will divide, distort, and even deceive. In fact, the false teachers here that John is interested in, in revealing to us are really doing even greater damage. They are selling gospel forgeries. They are selling lies And the issues are far greater. In fact, heaven or hell can be determined by following the wrong Jesus. And although they've they've withdrawn from the assembly here in 1 John, they still want to retain the contacts, and that's why John has to warn the flock, as I through him would warn you. They want to be able to influence the faithful and lead the faithful astray. So John warns the body of the threat of of spiritual deception and spiritual defection. How does the ordinary Christian handle this kind of threat? I mean, how do you spot it? How does the ordinary believer stand a chance in detecting clever, impressive, spiritual forgeries? Especially when they, they might even come with these, you know, these affidavits and testimonials, these certificates of authenticity. Do you have anything in your home that has with it an affidavit of authenticity? One of my treasures is framed. It's outside of my office door. If you were to go upstairs near my office, right outside my door is a framed sheaf of paper 
about eight by ten inches, and on it is the writing in black ink. It's from the hand of Charles Spurgeon. It's one of the pages from one of his manuscripts. And I have it framed, and underneath I have framed the, the uh, certificate of authenticity. Now what makes that page even more interesting and valuable that causes you kind of just to stand there and read it is um, the fact that according to his custom, after preaching that sermon, he would come into the office on Mondays and he would take that manuscript and he would take a pen using purple ink, that was his favorite color, that reminded him, he said, of the royalty of Christ, and he would edit his manuscript. He would add little lines, he'd scratch out lines and, and, and so forth. And so there I have it on my sheet of paper, framed. I have several phrases where he's scratched through them and then written over in the margin his notes in clearly purple, still purple, ink. You can see it if you like. I'm selling tickets outside in the lobby after this whole thing. Now, who knows? It could be a forgery. It could be a fake. I might have been staring at, you know, something somebody did 15 years ago. And listen, if it, if it isn't real, and, and you find out after I've died and you're packing up my stuff to get, get me out of here, that'll be okay with me. It, in fact, I will not be in hell because I believed it was the real thing. But you get the gospel wrong. You follow an imitation Jesus. You don't get the real Jesus right. It's heaven or hell. Which is why the Apostle John is so passionate about providing the believer with, with what we could call forgery-detecting equipment. Notice verse 27. He writes, As for you, now he's writing to all the believers, As for you, The anointing which you receive from him abides in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing effectively teaches you about all things, it's true, it is true, it is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now this anointing we introduced in our last session together, it is not a good education It's not a certificate of license hanging on some clergyman's wall. It isn't some mystical power that you tap into if you just get the secret incantation down correctly. No, this this is a, get ready, this is a person. It's a person. It is what we call the third person of the Godhead. Now John has already disclosed to us in verse 20 that every believer has been anointed by Christ with The Spirit. The Spirit is within all of you. You go over to the Gospel of John in John chapter uh, 16 and Jesus promises the indwelling Spirit who would teach the believer and guide the believer into truth. You mean I have within me an indwelling member of the Godhead? Absolutely. And you need to understand that that would be what John is writing here what we, you know, okay, it's been 1,900 years, but they would go, wow, did you, did you read what I just read, that we've been anointed by the person of the Holy Spirit? He indwells us as they ransack the New Testament letters, as they're being written by the apostles, that the Spirit of God, that's stunning. Because in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did not indwell believers. The Spirit of God came upon priests or kings and anointed them for some kind of extraordinary uh, ministry. It wasn't a permanent indwelling. It was a temporary 
overshadowing. That's why you read the spirit of the spirit coming upon some Old Testament character and then leaving them, like King Saul or, or Samson. This is why David prayed what you will never have to pray. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You never have to pray that. He wanted the anointing so that he could be king as he ought to be king. But the idea that every believer is permanently anointed, permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God was unthinkable. What one author referred to as an unbelievable extravagance of which no one is worthy. And so the disciples' heads have got to be spinning in the early church. We've been indwelt permanently by an equipper, someone able to detect for us the lie. So let's just kind of back up here this morning and and put the pieces together and kind of discover this third person member of the Godhead who is either overly emphasized or rather pathetically underappreciated. The Holy Spirit. He just so happens to be, according to this letter and others that I'll point your attention to, the divine equipment, better yet, the divine equipper for faith and life. Now John has informed us here that every believer, and I emphasize that, every believer has been anointed by the Spirit. Not just the really super spiritual you know, Christian. Not just the believer who never you know, misses church or never loses his temper. No, no, every believer that will seek to reform us after the image of Christ. So let's take time. Let, let's take some time to just revel in the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And hopefully, Lord willing, we'll walk out of here more committed to listening to and walking with not just God the Father and God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit. Now, for starters, keep in mind that each member of the Godhead is attributed certain functions. As you study the Bible, you'll discover they're working in perfect harmony, three persons of the Godhead. Some functions overlap. Some are shown to be more specific in their relationship to one member of the Godhead. For instance, you you read in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth, and you go over to Colossians 1, and you discover it was Jesus who literally spoke. He is the Word that created all there is. So keep, keep that in mind. There are some functions specifically geared toward or accomplished by the different members of the Godhead. We're given several functions of the Holy Spirit that effectively enables us to walk with and live for our triune God. I thought it was wonderful. Gary doesn't know what I'm preaching, but the song selected for today had to do with praising our triune God. In fact, we sang one hymn text that sang glory to the Holy Spirit. Now, we're given several functions of the Spirit of God, and I can't give you all of them, but let me give you four of them. The Holy Spirit equips us for every aspect of service. In fact, His his work is so comprehensive and, and, and frankly ignored and not even seen, and, and he's all right with that, but I think we ought to pay attention when we can and when we notice. But you find him in the New Testament referred to as the spirit of 
truth. That is the spirit that gives truth. John 14, 17. He's referred to as the spirit of grace. Hebrews 10, 29. He's, he's called the spirit of life. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. The spirit of glory. 1 Peter 4, 14. Frankly, every aspect of the Christian's life and service intersects with truth and grace and life and glory. These are the genuine signatures, so to speak, of the Spirit of God on our heart and life. The real item, we will find him stamping his name upon that which is truth and grace and life and glory. Let me give you another one. The Holy Spirit not only equips us for service, he leads us into holy living. Paul reminded the Corinthian believers that their bodies were literally the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Every believer is permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But then Paul tells the Ephesian believers in Ephesians 5, 18 to be filled with the Spirit. Well, how can you be filled with someone who already infills you or indwells you? Isn't that a contradiction? No, the word Paul uses for filling in Ephesians 5.18, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit as a command. It's the word for controlled. You could translate it dominated. Be dominated. Be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. So to be, to be filled by the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit. Oh, by the way, since we're talking about someone in the Bible referred to as the Holy Spirit... You can rest assured that if he's doing the leading in your lives, he will be leading you toward holy living, right? In fact, one of the marks of deceivers is hypocrisy. They say they represent God. They say they represent the Holy Spirit, but their lives are not holy. Jude, in his little letter, describes false teachers as those who follow after their own lusts. They live for earth what they wear, how they're bejeweled, what they drive, what they live in. Everything's about earth. And their message is effectively how you can get everything you want on earth. That's how you can help spot those liars. He says in Jude's letter, or Jude writes, they speak arrogantly, they flatter people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Note this, they are worldly minded, devoid of the Holy Spirit. They have Holy Spirit stamped on their literature, but it's, it's an imitation. It's fake because the true work of the Holy Spirit leads his redeemed into living holy lives. So the Holy Spirit not only equips us for service and leads us into holy living. Let me give you another one. He provokes in us genuine worship. If you go back to verse 27 of 1 John, we're told that the Spirit abides in us, that we don't need anybody to teach us. He'll teach us all things. Now, don't get confused there. Keep in mind the context here is one of false teachers. The Gnostics were coming along and saying, you really need us to teach you something so that you can come to know God through Jesus Christ. We've got the secret. We've got, you know, we, we've got the, the new thing. We've, we've got the incantation. John is saying, no, you don't need any of that. The Spirit of God will teach you the truth related to the genuine gospel of 
Jesus Christ. And so he's saying here that specifically the Spirit of God protects us from false teaching that denies Jesus as the anointed, the Christos, the Messiah. In fact, go back up at verse 22. You remember this one? He says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, Christos, the anointed one. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son, the one who denies the equal deity of Father and Son, and the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what John is rolling all up in that one phrase. In other words, here's how the Spirit of God will help you spot the counterfeit. You'll detect the deceiver by how he seeks to draw your heart away from Jesus as equally divine with the Father. He'll also seek to draw your heart away from worshiping God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. You'll spot a counterfeit gospel that way, a counterfeit religion, a counterfeit preacher, a counterfeit author, a counterfeit teacher by the fact that they will talk about God, but they will not talk about his equally divine son, the Lord Jesus. They will not lead you to worship Jesus. In his commentary, D. Edmund Hebert illustrated this by retelling an incident where Dr. Harry Ironside, who once pastored Moody Church, he pastored Moody Church back in the early 1900s, Ironside was in Los Angeles on one particular day, and he came across a man preaching in the street. So he stopped to listen. And as he listened, he, he understood that this man was actually detailing a heretical view of Christ held by a well-known, prominent, and, and growing in popularity cult. As he stood there realizing that, he happened to look across the crowd, the small crowd there, and he noticed an older gentleman standing there and listening intently. And every once in a while, it seemed that he sort of smiled and nodded to himself. And Ironside said he was filled immediately with compassion for a man that was obviously being deceived by this false teacher. So he kind of made his way around the crowd while the preacher continued until eventually he was standing there next to him. After the preacher finished, he struck up a conversation with this older gentleman and found out that the older gentleman claimed to be a a Christian. And so Ironside said, well, again, to identify the genuineness of that statement, that label, he said, well, what do you think about what the man preached about, about Jesus? The older man responded, well, I don't know if I could clearly answer all his arguments, but I do know that As he was preaching, something inside of me was saying, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. That would be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guards us against falsehood. And while there is more to his ministry, we don't have more time today. We're going to stop right here for now. But we'll do a little bit of review and then resume this lesson next time. You've tuned in to Wisdom for the Heart with Stephen Davey. You can learn more about us if you visit our website, which is wisdomonline.org. 
Once you go there, you'll be able to access the complete library of all Stephen's Bible teaching ministry. Visit wisdomonline.org today. Then join us back here next time for more Wisdom for the Heart. 